Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Hey everybody and welcome to Kurt's Angle, it's Kurt Johansson and today bringing you another special interview coming off the back of the From the Ground Up series I've been doing with Reach Wrestling and their academy. He's arguably one of the kings of wrestling in the southwest of England, in the Devon area. It's the English Lion, Eddie Ryan. Eddie, thank you for joining us. That's all right. thanks for having me. Now, really excited, especially um, from seeing you work over the years and everybody that I've interviewed from the Reach Academy. They've all just had such great stuff to say about yourself when, whenever you've been interacting with them, giving them advice. So really interested to see what, like, learn more about your career, really. And, yeah, let people know who Eddie Ryan really is. Excellent. So just to delve straight in, like, why wrestling? It's a, <laughs> it's one career you've got to be really committed to. Um, mm-hmm. Like, when was the first time you thought, you know what, I want to be a professional wrestler? Uh, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with wrestling. Uh, my first memory of wrestling was WrestleMania four. Uh, I had the double box tape, uh, my dad brought back from, uh, the video rental place and we sat around watching it. I just remember being about six inches from the TV, just mesmerized. And 
I've always been a huge Macho Man fan, but that was really where I uh, sort of got got started with wrestling. Um, used to watch a lot of World of Sport with my granddad. Uh, yeah. He he was Spanish, so we didn't really communicate all that much. Uh, but I just remember being sat on his sat on his knee watching some World of Sport when I was younger. But in terms of when did I decide that I was going to be a, a wrestler? Um, it was never really anything that I thought that you could just do. I never really put any thought into it. You know, like yeah. I, I, I played football from the age of 11 until I was about 21. And you just, you play football and you get trials. And I never put any thought into how do you become a wrestler? And so I was at university uh, and that kind of opened my eyes to, I don't just want to do a normal desk job for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I really I had a conversation with my mum and I was just, uh, I don't know what to do with the next part of my life. And she was like, well, you always love wrestling. Why don't you become a wrestler? <laughs> and so I started looking into it a bit more, obviously with the, the internet opening up the, 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 the channels to, to look into that type of stuff. I just started looking for, for training schools and, and then that's where it snowballed from there pretty much. So, it's it's funny you say with like your mum, like a lot of people that mm. I speak to and it's like, so how did your parents take? And it's, oh, my mum didn't like it. She didn't like seeing mm. me getting hurt. But <laughs> here's your mum like encouraging you. So what was the process trying to find a school? One, that's in touching distance. Like when you first started, it had been a lot harder. But two, mm-hmm. to know this is a serious school because you hear all the horror stories of like canny, canny academies, essentially, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was your experience like, like first stepping through the door? Um, so, uh, I started looking into wrestling in 2007, uh, is, is when I started looking into it. So, uh, again, in the Southwest, there really wasn't anything. I was, I was Googling a lot and there, I, I came across, uh, a local training school based, uh, in Brixham, which is about, uh, half an hour 45 minute drive through the countryside from Plymouth and uh, I went there and I remember turning up and it was just a a tired beat up old ring in the middle of a a sports hall really (laughs) but I was so excited to just give it a go because in my head I thought I've always been a an all or nothing type of person it was like that with football if you know if you haven't got any natural ability in it then you just kind of maybe move on so I just wanted to see if I could do the basics and if I picked it up quickly and then go from there so I went there and took a few bumps and ran the ropes a bit and felt that I can do this uh, and then luckily on my second training session uh, Joel Redmond came down to help train some of the guys because effectively it was a backyard promotion in yeah. a building so he came down and he wanted to help and Put us through, put us all through our paces. Now I'd obviously just come off the back of over a decade of football, so my cardio and and things like that were pretty good. So he was pushing me along, and at the end of the session, he took me to one side and said, uh, "You have some good potential, but you need to go somewhere and get properly trained. You can't stay here." Yeah. And he gave me some some contacts. Uh, he gave me uh, UK Kid in Portsmouth, VPW. Uh, he yeah. gave me. Uh, WAW the nights out in Norwich and he gave me Dave Sharp uh, in Swindon with 4FW he gave me the contacts for them and just started uh, getting in contact with the places really and starting opening doors 
Yeah. Now that's good for him to do that. Like again, he's just coming in to help out. He sees mm-hmm. you for the first time and mm-hmm. essentially put his name on the back of it. Like, hey, you should you should go for these and mm-hmm. was. So you said you could cope like with cardio wise because of football. Mm-hmm. However, yeah. um, I even I've I've done it. I've people that we've spoke to has gone from one sport to another. Mm-hmm. How did you cope with that transition? Because you've got football shape and football cardio, but then you've mm-hmm. got in ring cardio. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of the things I'm not looking forward to at the end of this uh, this lockdown is that <laughs> <laughs> my ring shape is going to be terrible by the end of this because there's nothing like wrestling. Um, yep. But in terms of uh, how did I cope? I mean, at the start, a lot of training schools, if 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 they're any good, they 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 do drill you a little bit. They put you through your, your fitness and and that type of thing. And that's one of the things that, that Joel was always so high on. If you've ever met Joel and, and you watch him work, his his work rate is unlike anything else. And so he 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 does push you through. And 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 that was something that I picked up from 4FW as well. So in turning up in terms of like fitness, where they're making you do, you know, like jogging around, sprints, squats, yeah. press ups. That's all the stuff that I brought in from another sport. In terms of in-ring cardio, uh, when you first start out and you start doing the drills and you you, ha- you have a better level of, of fitness maybe than others, but it still hits you pretty hard. Um, but that's something that you build up over time and you can only build that up by doing it every day or or regularly, not just something you do once a week or once a month or something. That's, that's something you build up over time. Yeah. Now... When I first saw you, I think like the first, I'm up in the north of England, so I think mm-hmm. the first time I'd seen you would have been the five star wrestling stuff, which we'll get into okay. later. Sure. Um, but first thing I thought was, God, this guy's a specimen. Like, <laughs> um, like physically, like you look, you look the part. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, let's let's see. Like, is he going to be just another body guy, or is he going to be somebody that mm-hmm. can go in the ring? And you can do that as well. You've got the technical side. Mm-hmm. What is that something you put on and developed during wrestling, or was you always quite a weightlifting kind of kid when playing football? No, if I was to show you a picture of me uh, before the age of twenty-two when I first got into wrestling, you would probably not even recognise that it was me. I was <laughs> I was probably eleven eleven stone wet through. I was very skinny, very gangly. Uh, you know, I was built for a lot of running effectively for football um uh, and it was i've always sort of fought my genetics both of my parents are uh, uh slight in build so me putting weight on is, is hard work and takes a, a considerable amount of time so uh, i just knew that when i got into wrestling uh i just wanted to be good technically because a lot of the people that i idolized when i grew up were good technical wrestlers um and then over a period of time, again, people like uh, Joel and Chris Andrews, uh, who are people that, that, that they were the, they were the people that guided me out of the Southwest, much like when you said about the reach guys saying about how I helped them. I'm only doing what people had done before done before me. So Joel and Chris. And at the time, you know, like they were in such incredible shape. And um, I just knew that in talking to people. Uh, if you wanted to be taken seriously, you had to attract their attention straight away. Uh, and I'm a firm believer of, you know, like if, if you're a wrestler, you need to look the part. Only you can invest in yourself. So, you know, if you go out there out of shape uh, in tatty gear, 
you're going to get dismissed by everyone straight away. If you turn up with gear that you've obviously spent some good money on, that's good quality and you are in shape immediately, the people in attendance, much like what you said there, you like, okay, this guy looks like he takes it seriously. This guy looks like, looks like what he's supposed to look like. So effectively I'm, I'm only doing what I feel that people should be doing, but because um, maybe other people don't, it means people like myself stand out because, you know, I, I I make sure that I buy good gear. I make sure I'm in shape. I make sure that everything about the package that is Eddie Ryan is exactly what I want it to be. Yeah. Well, let's jump straight into that package then. Cause again, mm-hmm. um, not only visually look brilliant, you mentioned it yourself. You put your time and effort making sure you're not wearing tatty gear. You're coming out. Mm-hmm. You've got like the cape hanging down. Um, mm-hmm. Not a traditional cape that everybody seems to have these days. Mm-hmm. You've got the the lion like helmet as well. Mm-hmm. Like, tell us a bit more about how you came to be in that person. Um, uh, before I went off uh, to America back, uh, back in 2011, I went to America, and at the time, the British wrestling scene was very much in a very big dip. The, yeah. it, it, it wasn't a good scene at the time. And so I thought going elsewhere to get experience, it, it, it wouldn't hinder me in any way because I wasn't missing out on anything, so to speak, here. So um, I just remember thinking that we're a, a, a country of British people, so how do I make myself different to every other guy who is a British guy in this country? And, you know, I'm... I'm very proud of my country. I'm very proud of my heritage. And uh, I just started doing some research into into effectively English English history. And it, it really sort of boiled down to, you know, like conquering the world, uh, people like Richard the Lionheart and things like that. And just looking into those type of things and obviously the lion being a big motif of being British and uh it was really just taking little bits and that's effectively what, what the Eddie Ryan character is. It's, you know, we, England was an empire once upon a time and we conquered the world, you know, and we own so much of it. That's effectively what it boils down to. I'm just, I want to conquer the wrestling world. So, you know, like you, you don your war paint, so to speak, and, and, and off you go. So it, it, that that's really the basis of it. And then you just build up on top. And again, you know, when you step through that curtain, you've got five seconds to make people make uh, a decision about you, you know, like whether they like you or you're not very much the same principle as like the, the Legion of doom or people like that. When they come out, you're over like, I like that guy or I don't like that guy. And you've got five seconds to make people think that, you know, and if you come out and you're just a guy in trunks and you, just shout come on or yeah or whatever you know (laughs) if you've been to enough shows you've seen it if if you're just that guy then you're just another one of the people on the show if you come out with a lion mask on immediately people are like oh okay this this is different you know and some people don't like it but the general consensus is is that's that's cool and you know like when when i'm at the end of the show doing the meet and greets at the merch table people want to come and, and see it and touch it and hold it because it's interesting to them and uh that's really it. It's just, again, trying to get that whole package, trying to get that attention and stand out on a show where you've got 10, 12 people. How do you, how do you get that attention immediately? You know, like there are people that can probably do, you know, like four fifties and things like that, that I can't do, but there are other things that I can control that I can do that maybe others can. not And if I can come out and just immediately attract that attention, 
then 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 I've done my job and I'm off to the races from there. Yeah. So going back to what Joel said, he gave you a couple of um, training schools, including WAW and 4FW. Mm-hmm. 4FW essentially been like your home in professional wrestling since you first started. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's the company you went straight. You went straight to to do the training with. Not immediately, no. Um, WAW was something that I wanted to look into, but like Plymouth to anywhere in the country is a long way, but Plymouth to Norwich is just so far. Yeah. Um, and so I did inquire into it, but it was kind of like it was the third option, and that's nothing against them personally. It's just purely from a um, geographical standpoint. Yeah, just it was just such a long way away from where I was. So the first one I actually looked into was... Um, uh, VPW in Portsmouth uh, they were running shows all along the south coast so they did the Exmouth Pavilion uh, and I went there to just help out and help build the ring and help set up and sort of just sort of get a foot in the door really um, and I met the promoter uh, and just said about what I was trying to do and obviously Joel had uh, recommended me so that sort of set me in good standing and so the next day because they they VPW used to bring in a lot of ex-WWE guys and they had D'Lo Brown on the show at the time who wasn't too far off of uh, you know being in WWE so uh, the next day in Portsmouth at the Guildhall they were actually doing a, a training session now I'd probably only done five or six training sessions at that point uh and and tom was very kind to say if you come and help out you're more than welcome to join in so i went there and did some work and some training with Delo. and again he had some praise for me in my general athleticism and some some kind words and so i i had done some stuff with vpw but the unfortunate thing was is that tom was not really he didn't really have a, a solid base for his training school at the time uh, and he yeah. was sort of just planning to sort of get it running again. So at the time, it just was bad timing. Uh, and so I did I did go and help out at some shows with VPW. But then because of the school situation, I then got in contact with, with Dave at 4FW and uh, started pursuing it from there, really. So how long had you been training before getting that first match then? My first match at 4FW was uh in december 2008 so the training school in devon only did training uh once a week on sundays and even then sometimes that wasn't even training it was uh they would uh film just like their own show so to speak so so it was sporadic at best and then i had my uni commitments and i had to work and things like that every now and again so really uh so i started the sort of the late 2017 and that's when i met joel and so i moved to swindon in october 2008 after i finished university uh and so it was october so two months before i got my first first uh show match with 4fw yeah now that's dedication like you've uprooted your entire life just to go training Mm -hmm. what was your thought process behind that to be honest there wasn't a great deal of thought that went behind i've as i I said earlier it's with a lot of the things i do in 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 my life it's all or nothing i either do it fully or i don't do it at all uh i'm not really one to half-ass things so uh 
once I started getting all this good feedback from people and, and, and people say, you know, you could be good at this if you dedicate yourself to it. In my head, I'd already made the mind up that I was going to do this 100%. And so I was just waiting really to finish university uh, and then start to work out how to move on to the next bit. And uh, yeah, and that that was it really it went as far as that just saved up some money worked through the summer saved up some money uh and then just moved moved to swindon in, in october and the, the best part about 4fw was is that they were doing training five times a week uh, a lot of the people that i meet in wrestling they tend to start when they're like 16 18 things like that and i was 22 so in my head i had to play catch up and yep. training five times a week was amazing for me because uh i just wanted to be wrestling as much as physically possible just to get ahead so i was there uh every tuesday wednesday thursday that was monday tuesday wednesday thursday and then all day on a all day on a sunday so i was just just all in straight away it was just very much just i'm doing this and this this is how i'm going to do it and this is how i'm going to get to where i want to go so how does it feel like for me like I mentioned earlier, like yourself and Joel are uh, mm-hmm. two of the cornerstones of like the Southwest wrestling. And with 4FW, you'd had a match with um, Joel just before going to America, I believe. Mm-hmm. Was that your first like match with Joel in front of an audience? And what was that like? Somebody that believed in you and you kind of looked up to, to then be across the ring from him? Um I think that was actually the first time we ever wrestled, actually. Uh, I would have to check the diary, but I think that that is the first time. But um, Joel has always been a, a benchmark in terms of something to strive for. You know, he has a, a work ethic like no other, and that, that can be seen in the in the way that he works in the ring and, and the, the way that he looks. And that's, you know, like if, if you want to be the best, you have to be better than the person who is the best. Yeah. And you know, like to strive to be as, as good as him has always been something I've, I've wanted to achieve. And so, you know, to get in there with him, it's a test because an added in wrestling is you work up to someone's level. That person doesn't work down to yours. So he was at the time, I think that was one of his, it might've been one of his last matches before he went off to NXT. I would have to check that, but I'm pretty sure he went off to America shortly after that. Um, and so for me, it was an opportunity for me to get in there and see how I uh, compared to him and, and just, you know, like once you know what your level is and then you get in there and you're like, OK, I need I need to work on this, this, this and this in order to get to his level. It, you know, it sort of sets that 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 process uh, in motion for yourself, really. But, yeah, it was it was great. And uh, since he come back and over the past couple of years, we've really had the opportunity to to work more and just really sort of get get matches and chemistry down properly and there's there's been some matches that we've had that people won't ever see were that were in, incredible and um yeah I, i'll never turn down working with joel there are some days where you just know you've got to have your work boots on and maybe you're not feeling <laughs> it or maybe you're not 100 percent. but every time you're in there with joel he's going to make you earn it and he's going to make you work for it and that that's that you know that's that's something that everyone should do. You should never have like a bad day or an off day, and you know, when people are paying ticket money to watch you wrestle, because it's only your own reputation that you destroy if you do that. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier, like you went to um, America and you started changing your name. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what's your thought process behind that? Because when I was speaking to one of the Academy guys, Jackson, a mm-hmm. lot of that was about talking about his character and trying to find out, find himself essentially. And mm-hmm. you've had the Eddie Ryan, Eddie Reyes, and mm-hmm. I believe Tony Bauer as well. <laughs> yeah, that's um, in Japan, yeah. So let's talk about the Eddie, like the Eddie Reyes to Eddie Ryan transition. Okay. Like, how's it been trying to find who you are? Because again, you've used Tony Bauer in Japan. Mm-hmm. You started Eddie Ryan in um, America, but you also mm-hmm. did the Eddie Reyes stuff. Yeah. So when I first started at Four FW, um, Dave, uh, the, basically the two people who ran Four FW and the trainers uh, were David Sharp and JD Knight, and they they were great to me and they really did teach me so much. And um, the the thing with Dave is he uh, he liked to have international flavor on his shows. Now, uh, my family, my, my the heritage I come from, as as I said earlier, my my granddad didn't speak much English just because he was Spanish, uh, and he came over here during World War Two and, and and lived here but never really learned English because he was just a stubborn Spanish man. And, <laughs> um, my dad was born in Spain as well. Um, and so my real last name is Spanish. And so yeah. Dave really wanted me to be Spanish so that he could have like a Spanish like flag on posters and things like that. And he thought that that would be a good way to set me apart. And so he sort of just gave me... Uh, but not so much gave me, but we sat down and he was like, you know, like you should be Spanish. And we sat down and we started talking about names. And that's how the the Eddie Reyes thing came up. I was a massive Eddie Guerrero fan. So the Eddie was always something that I wanted to use. Um, and the Reyes came from Jose Antonio Reyes. So, um, <laughs> and so it, that's how it was formed. It was just sort of thrown together and it wasn't really my idea, but it was, you know, when you listen to your trainer and you look up to him, you just, you do as you're told and, yeah. and you, you, just assume that he's looking out for the best thing for you. And so over a period of time, you start to settle into yourself, so to speak. And uh, my Spanish isn't the best. Uh, so having to keep up that facade really is more effort than it was. And you hear lots of people say things like your best uh, character is yourself turned up to 10. Um, and that wasn't me. And it just got to a point on shows where I wasn't enjoying doing that and, I wanted to do something more natural, more than that, that interested me, so to speak. And so um, on the way to the airport to go to America, obviously America having a large Hispanic population, I knew I was going to get rumbled. So we started talking, me and Dave was dropping me to Heathrow to go and catch my flight. And we were talking and uh, I said I wanted to change my name and I basically wanted to come back. As, as I said, the wrestling scene in the UK was so down at the time. No one was going to pay any attention to me changing my name or my my gimmick really yeah. so so i thought it was just a way to refresh so on the way to the airport you know like i wanted to keep i had a pair of boots that had er on them so i wanted to keep last name beginning with r and uh my my best friend's first name is ryan so just went with eddie ryan and and it stuck from there and just went to um went to america while i was there um someone pointed out that uh ryan and lion rhymed and so the English line thing came and and that was it. But the uh, the Tony Bauer thing, uh, I went to uh, Japan in 2012, not long after I got back from America, really. And uh, Zero One had a habit of changing people's names. I don't know why, uh, but when you're, you know, you're there, you just do as you're told. Again, I was still very new. And so got there and 
they said that I looked like a movie star and they started saying something about Jack Bauer from 24. <laughs> See, um, that's, that did come up into my mind when I came across <laughs> the Tony Bauer thing. I was like, yeah. is that going to be Jack Bauer? <laughs> yeah, it was. And I don't know where the Tony came from, but they just said, uh, you're Tony Bauer. And uh, to be fair, there I... D- I don't know if you watched the, I think it was the Cruiserweight Classic, but there was an Australian there called Damien Slater. He was yeah. there with me at Zero One at the time, and they changed his name to Ocean Neal. And there was another guy in the Cruiserweight Classic, I believe his name was Jason Lee from Hong Kong. Yeah, He was from, um, uh, he was at Zero One at the same time I was then, and they changed his name to something silly as well. I can't remember what it was, <laughs> but they just changed everyone's names. And I'm not sure why, maybe it was kind of, WWE sort of theory but yeah they changed our names and so while I was there I was Tony Bauer and I didn't really understand it but okay (laughs) (laughs) just get out you just go there and you just train and you just do as you're told yeah man like especially you're there working in uh, Cork and Hall like Mm -hmm. um, before we go back to America like how did Japan come about how did Zero One come about and again on everyone's bucket list there's Tokyo Mm -hmm. Dome but there's Cork Mm -hmm. and Hall Mm mm-hmm and early in your career you've done that so how was all yeah. that i was it was incredible um the i mean the, the door for america opened up because uh dave had a guy called john walters who was in roh yeah. uh, he came over in 2009 and he stayed with us for three months and uh to repay the favor he said he would take one of dave's trainees over to america if they ever wanted to go um, and so I had always wanted to go to Boston, which is where John lived. And so I went there for five weeks and stayed with John and he took me around to shows. But while I was there, um, my trainer, Dave, uh, he dropped me a message. We stayed in contact and, uh, he said that, would I be interested in going to Japan? And I said, absolutely. And Dave, Dave had always been a huge fan of Japanese wrestling, so he had a lot of fingers in pies with promotion. So there were trainees that went to Kaintai Dojo and uh, Michinoku Pro. Uh, And so I don't know exactly how Dave opened the door for that, but he's like, do you want to go? And I was like, 100%, I'd like to to go and just learn and just get all sorts of... uh, um, styles learn and just just absorb everything that I could and so uh, that was it he opened that door for me and uh, he just said let me know when you want to go and so I got back from America in October and then in January I'm off to Japan so uh, but yeah the whole Japan thing was great it was amazing to be treated like a, a proper athlete you know you get given a tracksuit and when yeah. you go to shows you go on a, a bus um, and you're, you're treated like a proper athlete and you know the respect shown to you but you've got you know you've got to work hard the, tra- the training there was some of the hardest i've ever done in my life but you know you start mingling with um some japanese legends and i you know i got to do a tag with masato tanaka so to, wow. to work with him i mean the, fir- the first day i got to japan was in itself a, a, a hard day I, I remember turning up i'd been on a plane for pretty much 16 hours and uh got picked up at the airport and by that time you know I'd been awake for nearing you know like something like 20 hours or, or longer you know I just needed to go to sleep and by that time it was early afternoon and they had a dojo show later that evening and so I get picked up and they were like do you want to watch the dojo show and I was absolutely and I assumed they would take me to the, the house so that I could sleep for a bit and come back out but they just kept me in the, the dojo for the rest of the day and so <laughs> I'm trying to keep myself awake and, you know, meet all the, the managers and everything. And 
so the dojo show happens and it's just filmed at the, the training dojo effectively it's just kind of like a house show and uh i'm sat at the back i'm trying to keep myself awake but by this time i've been awake for like maybe 30 hours it's incredible and i just need to sleep and at the end of the show uh tanaka and hidaka come to me and they said please uh train uh obviously the the communication <laughs> was was difficult at the time so i thought maybe train tomorrow i was like no no, no now so mm-hmm. i had to go in and find my knee pads and basically roll around for five minutes with tanaka um and five minutes in i'm just just mat wrestling with him and uh after five minutes he just breaks and looks at me says something in japanese to hidaka and hidaka says tomorrow you're on a show and that was it so i'd obviously been trained well in my fundamentals for them to to sort of come up come come to that decision so quickly and it you know it was very overwhelming experience and you know like you're you're half asleep and it it all seems a little bit like a dream and so luckily uh, me uh damien and jason were kind of like the three standout trainees while we were there and uh they took us for sponsor meals and it was amazing and you know uh went to the like the new japan physios and new japan pies and things it was an amazing six weeks and they wanted me to stay for the full three months but at the time i had a job and i couldn't take any more time off and uh i've always been in contact with them since then and it's always something that i wanted to look back into to doing but with the revival of the the british wrestling scene it's kind of been something that's been difficult because yeah you know there's a lot of opportunity for us here at the moment and i don't want to to lose the momentum uh that i had gained over you know that time from 2016 so but i'm sure that after all this lockdown that it's going to take a while to get going again so maybe that that door might open again but but who knows so if that door does open again mm-hmm. are you going to be the english lion eddie ryan or are you going to be tony bauer <laughs> <laughs> the people want the return of tony bauer <laughs> um uh Obviously, I would like to go there under my my current uh, <laughs> current name. I think that you know the the way that Japan is, they 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 love gimmicks and they they love things like that. So I think that the Lion Mask would be, would be well received there. But if if they demand Tony Bauer, then I've got to give them Tony Bauer. Well, twenty four is <laughs> not big right now, so it'll probably be like Jack. It'll probably be like Jack Ryan or something. At least you get to keep your your last name. Yeah, that's that's, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so. Like you mentioned, you've got such momentum in the UK, and mm. um, so many companies have entrusted you with being um, their main champion and leading mm-hmm. the brand. And mm-hmm. that came shortly after your time in America and Japan, I believe, with 4FW, with your first title reign. Yeah. How how was that feeling for you? Like to be, I guess, entrusted with the keys of the kingdom. You're representing the company, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's something you've grown to get used to now. But how was that to begin with? It's always it's always an honor when a promoter wants to make you their champion because obviously in their head you know this is their baby and you know, they you know they've got this vision and and things like that and if they see you as as being the the number one in their their company is you know the the draw so to speak the people that the the person that the people um, you know react most for or um, want to come and see the most then it's it's always humbling and it's always a, a and I'll I'll never be like oh great another championship belt like sometimes it's a it's a bit awkward to have to 
one remember which belt belongs to which promotion on which booking day <laughs> that you have to take but at the end of the day being someone's champion is you know they, they see that much in you that how could it not be an honor so it is always appreciated when a promoter comes to you and says we'd like to make you our, our champion our you know our, our face of the promotion and things like that but I remember when I came back from Japan and you know my physique was starting to improve and Dave my uh, promoter my my trainer and promoter he was like we, we want to make you our champion and uh, and give you the opportunity to work with people that we bring in effectively what they did with Hogan they brought people in to work with Hogan so that he could you know like build build his reputation so to yeah. speak and that's effectively what Dave wanted to do for me and uh, obviously when I turned up at 4FW the, the the first goal the first hurdle was to be champion of my promotion and so when I did that it was it was a massive milestone for me at the time I won't lie um, and so you know like it was a it was a, a very proud moment for me and a lot of people were happy for me and knew how hard I'd worked at that point. So, so, you know, it was the first tick on the box, so to speak. I did obviously after traveling to different countries to wrestle, uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a great feeling. Yeah. You've, you've wrestled so many different people, like a who's who of like British wrestling really was Shah Samuels mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, Johnny Storm, Doug Williams, people like that. But mm-hmm. what was it like facing Ultima Dragon? <laughs> that was uh that was that was quite an experience he was such a such a nice man he was always so well dressed and uh yeah i remember that match it was me and uh, me and jason larusso my old tag partner against uh ultimo dragon and zach saber jr i remember that uh that was in this beautiful almost like town hall in somewhere in bristol and it it wasn't he speaks very very good english so that made it a lot easier but you know, like when you meet someone who in himself has obviously been champion of everywhere that he's been, if you've seen that picture of him holding every <laughs> belt on, you know, and so he's he's obviously very well respected. I, I grew up really watching WCW because uh, my, my family didn't have a great deal of money, so we didn't have Sky to be able to watch WWF. So really it was just WCW or what we could get for free. So having seen someone uh, that you had watched for so many years on TV and, um, get the opportunity to, to learn from him. That's what, that's what a lot of these experiences are just to, to see how you match up with these people and test yourself against them. Um, and just learn from what they have to, to offer you. But it was, it was, it, it was, a, a again, a, a sort of a surreal experience because it was one of the first people that I, I worked with that I had seen on TV. So it was surreal. And it was one of those things where you, when you go home later that day, especially even now that I'm actually talking about it, just like to think about it, me, me in a tag match against Zack Sabre Jr., who's arguably one of the best wrestlers in the world now, and Ultimo Dragon yeah. in in a town hall with probably a hundred people in is the, the strangest thing to say. But but at the time, it was another you know another thing to learn from and another experience. And you take away what what these people have to teach you, and you know it, it was a, it was an incredible experience to work with them. Well, whilst on the um, subject of like the tag team wrestling and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, you teamed up with a friend of mine, Nathan Cruz, for All Star against um, Hiromu Takahashi and mm-hmm. Ken by two people that mm-hmm. have gone on to um, make their names. But at that point in time, they're making their excursions to the UK. Mm-hmm. One, what was it like working like with All Star? But two, working again with that language barrier to people that are essentially new to the career in, in Takahashi and Ken by. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, working for All Star was always, uh, you know, an honor. You know, one of the oldest promotions in the country. So, so many uh, people who went on to legendary careers had sort of plied their trade through there, and that's the places like All Star, uh, Welsh Wrestling, and and effectively touring promotions that, yeah. that run regular shows every week. That's where you really learn how to wrestle and where you learn how to work because you know you you're there, you're doing it. A lot of the matches aren't you know like you don't plan a great deal backstage you just you get up there and you you feel the crowd you learn to interact with the crowd you learn what brings a crowd up and you learn what takes a crowd down and the the what's best for shows and things like that and you don't have to worry so much about the 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 crazy moves or the silly spots so working for all-star is always uh an honor and it's always a, a place to learn because they still have so many people on those shows that have so much to teach people, people like James Mason and Tony Spitfire and people like uh, Joel, who's their champion and other people that they bring in. It's always a, a, a great experience and a, um, a great feeling backstage to be around these people. But, but yeah, it's just uh, as many matches as you can get with all-star and Welsh wrestling and places like that is, is where you learn your craft and how you get so much better at what you do. Um, but with regards to Kenbai and Takahashi, uh, what you wouldn't know is that when they came to the UK, they were staying with 4FW. That's when, that's why they came for the excursion. Again, Dave right. had, had those links opened up, and they were actually living with me at the time. Uh, so <laughs> I, I actually lived with them the entire three months that they were in the UK, and I was responsible for driving them around because obviously they didn't have anywhere else to go. So so I was basically their chauffeur and hotelier, and that's how it all came came to be. Um, uh, I got to know Takahashi a little more than I did Kenbai. Kenbai was a lot quieter than Takahashi. Takahashi was a, a ball of energy, and it, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all that he's gone on to the career that he has in new Japan, to be honest, it was a shame when I heard that he sustained his neck injury, but it's good to see him back up and running again. So, um, but yeah, it is difficult, but you'd be surprised how universal the language of wrestling is. And a lot of the words translate, uh, and you can communicate it, uh, a lot of it by feel. And just when you're out there and it's easy, you just have to simplify it really, rather than, you know, sometimes you start, calling a spot in the match yeah um which can be quite wordy you learn how to make that as simple as possible and especially backstage you the, the best thing to do in those sort of circumstances is if you don't think someone will know what you're doing tell them before and if they still don't get it then just scrap it yeah. um but if if they do then you know then uh then then stick with it and just find a way to make it as easy to communicate as possible but as i say wrestling is a lot of it by feel so you can just tell by the way someone moves that sometimes this is where we're going with it and and things like that so uh you would be surprised at how easy it is to communicate yeah um now i I get what you mean like you just get by um i think Mm -hmm. it's been about four years ago i was living in tanzania okay um living with a family that couldn't speak English, but somehow <laughs> I'd still be able to communicate for the three months mm-hmm. I was there. So, no, nah, I get that completely. Yeah. What's So, obviously, we mentioned uh, Johnny LaRusso earlier. So, what's your thought process on tag team wrestling then and the contrast between tag team wrestling and singles? Because you've been such a successful tag wrestler with Johnny as the Lionhearts. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the thing I like most about tag wrestling is that it is so much easier to tell a story in tag wrestling. Um, because the story, the story is so much more simplified. You know, uh, one of the one of the partners gets um, cut off from his tag partner and beaten down, and you make people want to see that tag. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, singles wrestling, the you get the highs and lows, but effectively the biggest pop that you want, or you know, whether it be a, a yay or a boo, is is the finish of the match. You know, and that's what that's what you want to hook people into. With tag wrestling, it's you want them to pop for that hot tag. You want to make them want that as much you know you want them to care about that almost as more than the finish so that's the fun part of it and i had so many fun tag matches uh me and me and jason versus uh the bruisers uh gilligan gordon and matt lomax because the story was just so simple you know you had these two big bruisers you know technically you know me and Jason were technically better, but they'd cut us off and they would just beat us, beat us down until, you know, like the, the, the crowd thought that that was, that was the end. And then you'd, you'd make them want that tag. And then when they got it and some of, some of the pops that we used to get, and, but tag wrestling, it's so, so different to, to just singles wrestling. Um, and I don't think people really put as much thought into it as they should you know, they just think yeah. that it's four four guys instead of two guys, and that's not it at all. There's a different story to tell, and it's just much more fun, you know, and uh, much easier to to mess with the emotions of the crowd, so to speak. You know, about bringing them up and taking it away from them and things. But but yeah, tag tag wrestling is a lot of fun, and it's a it's almost like a science unto it unto itself, and uh, it's always good to get in there with someone you've got good chemistry with. Uh, since since Jay sort of slowed down and only worked for Welsh wrestling, uh, I started doing tag wrestling with with Charlie Sterling. And you know when you've got someone who you have good chemistry with, and then you're up against another tag team that you also have good chemistry with, and it's just almost you can just create magic so easily. What team have you had the best chemistry with whilst teaming with Charlie? Um, it would probably. And this probably won't surprise like a lot of the the people who are you know who are wrestlers who might be listening to this. It would probably be the Hunter Brothers, who are yeah. probably the best tag team in in Europe, as far as I'm concerned. You know, like working with those guys is so easy. Whether you're their babyface or villain, it it's just it all flows so nicely. They know they know what to do. They know where to be. Um, but I would say probably them. Really, because you have to you have to be working with a, a team who is you know who actually wants to work as a team. We've worked a lot of people who are just two singles guys who just get sort of maybe paired together, who don't necessarily you know like they don't see that or they don't yeah. think about the chemistry so much. Um, whereas those boys are you know they're, they're brothers and they know each other inside out and they know their routine and they know tag wrestling inside out. So, so really it, ha- it would have to be, it would have to be them since me and Charlie started tagging. Really. Is there a team on that bucket list for you and Charlie? Um, not off the top of my head and that's not to disparage anyone. Uh, just purely because me and Charlie have been so insular within chaos. Mm. Um, 
you know like we tend to get put against other people and, and we just get told what to do like if we were taking the, the line arts out there i'm sure there would be uh, uh not the line arts sorry the crazy teacups out there if we were to be doing that then then i'm sure there there would be tags out there um that we would want to work with but just because of the way that the tag has been uh, and it being so so insular to just chaos when we got told what to do it's not really something that i've put thought into to be yeah. honest with you yeah okay well whilst on the topic of chaos and you've reflected on what singles and tags was like what's mm. your thoughts on the more like hardcore no dq style match because um i believe it was chaos where you faced tommy dreamer mm-hmm. so yeah how did that come about and what's your thoughts on that style of wrestling um that came about uh, obviously chaos would ha- bring people in and they try to match people up as best as possible and at the time where i was i was working as a villain i i was um sort of uh what's the best way to put it i was working against the establishment because i was campaigning for just more just pure wrestling so to speak okay. um and you know like i didn't like the dangerous moves and everything that people were doing in <laughs> chaos i was basically trying to be the bob backland of the mid 90s yeah. in chaos and so for them to put me against tommy dreamer was effectively sort of progressing my storyline in that it was everything that i was supposed to hate um <laughs> with regards to to hardcore wrestling I, w- I wasn't a massive fan of it. As I say, like a lot of the people that I idolized and, and grew up watching were technically very good wrestlers who could tell a good story and, you know, you get sucked into the story of a match without needing too much shenanigans, so to speak. You know, you, they could just wrestle and you would just be absorbed in the wrestling. People like Bret Hart and and, and people along those lines. Um, and so hardcore wrestling was never something that I was a massive fan of. I would enjoy watching it now and again, you know, like uh, it would be incorporated here and there, you know, the WrestleMania 13 match, Brett and Steve Austin is a hardcore match effectively, you know, it has weapons um, and if used right, you can get sucked into it. But like, if, if we were to go into like the, you know, like the ECW type thing, you know, there were some incredible matches there, but in terms of like the dangerous aspects of it or like CCW, for example, I that, that type of stuff isn't for me, like yeah. gore for the sake of gore. Um, not, not so much. Like if it furthers the story, you know, like much like a cage match or something, then, you know, like it's the next step in a progression of, of a, a series or a storyline, then absolutely. But if it's just, here's two guys, they're going to throw each other through panes of glass. Then that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a turn-off moment for me, or light tubes or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I want to move across to five-star um, mm-hmm. wrestling. Somewhat, I don't know how you'll feel of it, and we'll get into it, but mm. somewhat a controversial company with how it had been mm-hmm. dealings. But as mentioned before, like that was the first time I'd... Um, really came across your work mm-hmm. because it was just on free TV. So, yeah. like, how did the five-star wrestling thing come around and what's your thoughts on, like, the company? Um, the first time I encountered uh, five-star was 
uh, when they first, I, I think it was they, they did something, they were trying to sign CM Punk for a million pounds or a million dollars or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, and they had the idea for a 128-man tournament or something along those lines. There was something. Yeah. And I, the main reason I knew about it or I'd heard about it was because they'd cancelled a load of shows on guys who... Uh, I think a lot of those guys went on to do some stuff with NXT. I know the Coffee Boys were involved, and yeah. um, there were other people who were involved, and they had put up a lot of statuses about, you know, how much of a joke it was and things like that. And so I had heard about it, but I didn't realize that's who it was because I didn't know anything about it at the time. Um, but the way that it came up, and this is a a, a strange thing, I got an email. Um, just from a random person, just, you know, as you do, you just get bookings in your email and it just came up and um, asked about a booking for a a Thursday on in, in early 2018. And I don't get, there's not all that many shows that run during the week. So immediately it sort of piqued my interest as a Thursday. And he said to give him a call. So I gave him a call and um, I was, and I, I can't, f- for some reason, my mind's gone blank as to what his name is. And I feel really bad for that because I, I did work with him quite closely uh, when I got to Five Star. And it'll probably pop in my head in a minute randomly. So if I just shout someone's name randomly, <laughs> it's because it's there. Um, but um, yeah, I just remember giving him a call. And much like yourself, I think he was a Geordie. So he was up for, up in the north, up in the northeast there. Yeah. And uh, Daniel, there's his name. Dan and uh, he said that he had seen my promo pictures and that it would be a great look for TV and he had this grand vision and he started laying out all these plans and I was like okay I didn't know I at the time I didn't know if any of this was serious or anything you know he's just telling me all these ideas and we're on the phone for like 45 minutes and he's yeah. just relaying all this stuff off and I'm like okay cool just send me some stuff via email and we'll talk, we'll talk further when we get closer to it. And just over time, we just talked more and more. And then he started sending me promotional pics. And that's when I started realizing that he was actually very serious about these plans that he had. And then that's round about that time. Because at the time, you don't know, you know, like if it's serious or not. So you just sort of drop a message to the group chat. And it's like, do any, any of you boys know what this is all about? And then that's when someone, someone said, Oh, that's that five star thing that failed last year or something. And then it all clicked in my head. So then you start getting extra cautious. So so I started asking more and more questions and, uh, and just, just really sort of, is this a good idea? Is it a good idea to be involved in it? But in my head, um i need i needed to get some exposure somewhere you know and uh, a lot of the big companies were hard like they still are hard to break into you know i've never worked for progress and icw or you know fight club pro or anything like that you know that's where you get some recognition so in my head you know when dan started saying about we're going we're going to do live tv and we're going to have these ex wwe guys and you know, like I have these plans and everything like that. Like immediately you just think, well, maybe it might not have the best reputation and in your head, maybe it might not last for the longest period of time, but you just make the most of it for as long as you can and just make it work to your advantage. And so we got closer to the time and 
Dan was saying about how he wanted to do an angle with me and Jack Swagger on the first Sheffield show. Um, And that's when, that's really when I started working more like with Dan with regards to myself as a character with him. You know, it was very much all the, the logistics of the this is where we want to do shows and this is what the plans are for tv and things like that but that's when we started really sort of nailing down the the what he wanted to do with with eddie ryan so to speak and uh that's when i actually realized he'd never seen me wrestle which was baffling <laughs> <laughs> he had just he had literally just seen the the mask and the cape and the look and just thought that would be a great look for someone on his tv show um and so started sort of nailing down and just really sort of working where he wanted to go with me. And so in terms of the, the experience, as I say, like he had these ideas. And so I just knew that I had to maximize everything and take advantage of absolutely everything I was given. And so he said that he wanted me to work with Jack Swagger. And so I just wanted to go out there and because a lot of us knew that maybe it might not last for the full period of time that he had. Uh, It came to an end a bit quicker than we were anticipating, but I just knew that I needed to treat every show like it wasn't going to be another one afterwards. And so I went out with with Jack and Russell Jack, and he had some great feedback for me, and then we just rolled on through the next one. I think think it was Newcastle the second week, and I think I was on with PJ Black there. Yes, yeah, so I've got a list here. I think so okay. Liverpool with Jake Hager on the first one. That's it. And then you had Newcastle with PJ Black. I just want to go back to you mentioned he said he hadn't seen you wrestle before. When mm-hmm. did you find that out? Uh, it was in a conversation. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said something that made my, you know, raises an eyebrow. Um, I think it was something to do with like he had an idea for like some moves he wanted me to do and it became apparent very quickly in my head that i don't do those that moves. <laughs> yeah and so uh i was like have you ever actually seen me wrestle and he's like no like and he was just so blase about it like no like okay so i could be completely crap and you're just gonna put me out there in front of a live audience of potentially millions and you know however many in the in the building and i could just completely crap the bed in front of all of those people uh, it's not really a great start to your show but you know so that's when i started doing some more training like making sure i get in the gym make sure i look good for tv and just working on like my technique and just getting in a training school and just really nailing down stuff because if i went out there on that that first episode and was crap then not only would it look bad on me but it would look bad on them that they were featuring me in such a prominent role on that first show yeah um what was the feedback that uh swagger gave you then uh he was you know again he uh was complimentary of of the way that i moved around the ring and timing and um just like the little bits that that wrestlers notice when when you're working with each other and things like that and you know and he just you know like little little pointers and little bits of feedback here and there, but he, you know, he was, he was very complimentary and it's just weird when you come back and you have like Chris masters and Ray Mysterio and people at the monitor and you come back and they, they come over and they shake your hand, pat you on the back and say, good job. And you just go off to your locker room and you're like, this is so strange. <laughs> but, but as I say, like for me, this is, you know, I get to work with these people and learn from them and make my product better, which 
these people have had amazing careers and they have all this knowledge that if I hadn't have done that, then I would never have picked up on that. And I wouldn't have had the opportunity to work with these people and get this exposure that they are, they are bringing the eyeballs. They're the ones that when you put on a, you know, like if you, if you put a page spread out and you've got a picture of Rey Mysterio, those kids are tuning in to watch Rey Mysterio. They're not tuning in to watch me, but if they do stay and watch the whole show, then I'm going to make sure that I'm as good as I can be so that I'm not just missed and just lost in the shuffle on the whole thing. Yeah. So how did it feel going back to like Plymouth? Um, I think it had been week four, maybe you facing Hager again for the Mm -hmm. five star championship, but that's in the Plymouth pavilions. Mm -hmm. Like how did that feel being on national television? Oh, that was incredible. Um, That all came about, uh, again, while I was talking to Dan, and he, he was laying out all these grand plans for these venues that he wanted to do. And it became very apparent that all of his venues were in the north because that's what he knew. You know, like, so there was Liverpool, there was Newcastle, there was Manchester, uh, there was somewhere in Ireland, there was Scotland. Uh, they were all really based anywhere above Birmingham. Yeah. And so I said to him, you know, like, have you thought about going down south? And he was very sort of, I don't know. Um, and and I know I'm biased because I'm from there, but Plymouth is an incredible wrestling town. Um, a lot of the places down there are Exeter are a great crowd as well because not much travels down there. So yeah. when you do go, they're very appreciative of your efforts. It's not overexposed down there. So so the, the fans don't expect you to you know get dropped on your head one billion times in order to get a reaction. <laughs> and so I was talking to Dan and I was like, he had a show which was going to be booked in in week four and the venue cancelled. And so I said, you should look into going down into the, the, the Southwest because I think he would do very well down there. Um, and uh, he asked me to recommend somewhere and immediately uh, I said, you should go to Plymouth. And he asked me what the, the, the best venues there were. And again, Plymouth doesn't have a lot of those type of venues. You either have home park, which is the football stadium, which is like 20,000, you know, before you even put seats on the, on the, the pitch yeah. or pavilions, which is the second biggest one, which is a 2000 seater arena, which is uh, built for you know, concerts and gigs and things. And next thing I knew, like maybe like three or four days later, he messaged me and he was like, okay, we've got the pavilions booked uh, and we'll make sure that, you know, like we make a a big song and dance about you going back. So I was like, okay, this, that's going to be very cool. Cause in my head, you know, like I always wanted to work in the guild hall because the guild hall is where they used to run shows in, uh, for world of sport and things like that. Um, but Plymouth Pavilions was another one of those venues that was sort of on that bucket list and um, was actually where I did my university exams. That's the only time I've ever been in there other than to <laughs> wrestle. So um, so it, it was cool. And obviously being a, a proud Plymouth boy, I was very excited to, to get to wrestle in front of such a, a big crowd. And uh, they when they started putting all the marketing together and then he started telling me how well ticket sales were doing there, I knew that we were onto a winner there. And in comparison to the other shows that they did, you know, like Sheffield and Liverpool and Newcastle, I think, you know, were around about the thousand mark, like thousand fans mark that, that, yeah. that came that came in and they were massive, like 10, 12, 15,000 seater arenas. Um, and then they go to Plymouth and then put nearly 2000 people and nearly sell the whole place out. And, 
you know, the general feedback was for that, that, that it was the best one that came across on the show, you know, like, uh, he immediately started looking to where else can I do in the South and the Southwest that can, can do this? Cause that was by far the, the best that it sounded and looked on TV, but just from a selfish point of view, like it was great to, to go there and just wrestle in front of friends, family and other people who, you know, there's not all that many people who have come from the Southwest who have gone on to do things, so to speak, in, in sports and some someone for people to look up to. And it just sort of gave people, um, you know, like a little bit of inspiration if they wanted to just follow their dreams and things like that. And I, yeah. I know that was something that came up with a lot of people who, you know, they, they said they, they first saw me on Five Star, especially Plymouth. And, you know, it really inspired them to do things. And uh, for me, like, like I've, I've such great memories of that night. Uh, I know that, by the end of that night, I was lying just in a pool of my sweat because I'd wrestled for effectively an hour where I did the big gauntlet match and then got about 20 minutes rest before then I went on to wrestle to wrestle uh, Jack Swagger afterwards. So it was it was great, but it was a hard night's work for me. They made me earn my money that night. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so I think it kind of all came to an end, and I don't know if it's because of the Belfast show specifically or if it was mm-hmm. just because of... Um, so it was what back in March 2018, a mm-hmm. huge snowstorm that effectively shut down the UK, and yeah. it made a lot of the talent, specifically from the North area, um, mm-hmm. which was predominantly quite a lot of his uh, roster, was struggling to get across mm-hmm. to Ireland. Um, yeah. So, what was that whole experience like, especially travelling from uh, like? Plymouth Swindon area to mm-hmm. Belfast Northern Ireland during that snowstorm not knowing yeah. if you're going to have enough people for the show what mm-hmm. was all that like uh, it was it was a lot of stress that day um well th- there was a few days really um so they were they were very good to, to me at least um in terms of having everything paid for I was never owed money everything was paid for in advance for me so the flights were all booked I'd been sent the details I was due to fly out from Bristol I was supposed to meet Charlie and then fly out from Bristol and then Bristol airport got shut down the night before so I then started you know like caught, like speaking to the promoter and he said like if there's any way you can get there you know, if you can transfer your flight to somewhere else, just do what you can. I would really appreciate it because he'd obviously had people started telling him they weren't going to be there at that point. Uh, and so me and Charlie looked into it and Birmingham Airport was still open. So, you know, we changed our flights to Birmingham um, just like literally like maybe like 9, 10 p.m. The, the night before we were due to go. And obviously our flight was I think maybe 11 a.m. So we had a few hours sleep and then we had to get going. And so I remember on the way to the airport, uh, it was early, probably about eight o'clock in the morning, eight, nine-ish. And there's a guy who was driving like a maniac down the outside lane. I saw him and Charlie was half asleep. And I just sort of said out loud in the car, like, that guy's going to crash if he keeps driving like that. And he passed and then crashed. And it was unreal. And I just remember the look on Charlie's face. And we were just like, this is doomed. This this trip is doomed. (laughs) And so we, we drove in shock for about 10 minutes, just silence of what we just watched in front of us. And luckily we didn't get caught in it. Otherwise we definitely wouldn't have been there. And so we get to the airport, uh, the flight takes off, we land in Ireland, uh, we get picked up and we get taken to the airport, uh, not the airport, the venue, sorry. And 
uh, yeah, there are a few people there. And Dan's there, and uh, the relief on his face that, you know, he had two more people, and he was just, you could see that everything was sort of crumbling around <laughs> him. And at that time, I remember uh, Zach Gibson had been signed to NXT, and they told him that they didn't want him to work the show. Um, and he said that he just wanted to do the favors to someone because they built him up as, a, as one of the top British yeah. villains that they had. And he just, you know, in as a class act that he is, he said he wanted to, to do the honors before he went and they'd been building me as the top British baby face. So he said that he wanted to, to do that for me. And so uh, he could have very easily said, sorry, but WWE have said no, but you know, he fought for it and said that he wanted to do the right thing before he left. And so they did that whole thing where they'd made a belt for him. And so they needed to do something with that. And I ended up with that real wrestling championship, which was, which yeah. was for him, but they needed to make the most out of it. So, so there was mixed feelings that, that show, like I'd always wanted to go to Ireland, especially Belfast. And so it was, it was great to, to go there and wrestle. And we did the best that we could effectively. That's all we could do. We, we yeah, turned yeah. up and we, we did what we could for the people who could get there. Um, but because me and Charlie had changed our flights, uh, from Bristol to Birmingham, it meant that we were sort of slim pickings for flying back into Birmingham. So everyone the next day uh, left early in the morning, uh, and me and Charlie were on an afternoon flight, uh, which got cancelled. So me and Charlie got stranded there for another two days, which the promoter, you know, he covered all the hotel expenses and everything, and that wasn't an issue. But yeah, me and Charlie got stuck in this beautiful little B&B in the middle of nowhere. Um, just watching WWE Network, uh, <laughs> um, and then you know, we just tried to make the most of our time. I went to the Titanic Museum and things like that just to yeah. occupy myself. So we made the most out of it. But that whole that whole experience was very stressful. Very stressful. Um, it was one of those ones where you you know like it's you look back on and laugh, and it's in the memories folder for wrestling. But at the time, <laughs> it probably gave me a few more gray hairs than I wanted at the time. <laughs> yeah, because I um I know that I don't know if it would be the same for yourself, but majority of the roster that had been booked out, promised dates for the next month, two months, because they were booking well in advance, mm-hmm. received a. It wasn't a Facebook message, but an actual Facebook post in the Five Star Wrestling private group page saying we're no longer moving forward with the shows. Nobody really got reached out. Did did Dan actually contact you, or was that the way you found out as well? No, I think Dan actually did did uh, take the time to to drop me an email or a message. I do remember that I knew that it was coming. Um, I don't. I did see the post, but I knew that it was coming before that. But um, I think that because there were so many factors that went into it you know like the the tv i think the tv side of it the the was it free sports was the channel yes um i think that they had stipulated uh about the venues and they thought that if they just booked a few people like ray mysterio and stuff like that that they would be able to fill up some some big venues i knew i knew that they weren't planning on filling up the whole thing because obviously they had the tv screens and everything but at least half fill it with a few thousand people you know like five six seven thousand people um but these are non-wrestling people and they don't understand that it takes a little bit more than that and so I think once they realized that they were hemorrhaging money for these venues so quickly, um, 
and the probably the 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 best that they were probably aiming for was as i say the the, the plymouth show with 2000 people was the, was the best effort that they did um i think when they realized that it wasn't going to be as grand as it was i think the tv show were just kind of uh, i don't know if we want to pursue this i know that the guy who was funding it all he wasn't short of money so i don't know if that was it but i think once he sort of got started uh, and it didn't start performing as they had hoped uh, and then it was getting panned because of the what it looked like bad attendance because effectively if you said here's a wrestling show there's a thousand people in the crowd that's a good draw yeah but out of context that's that's great but then you're like yeah there's it's a fifteen thousand seater arena you're like okay then maybe that's not so good so <laughs> do you um, think do you think it'd have been more successful if they booked smaller venues so you mentioned the guild hall earlier and mm -hmm. uh, ngw up here they use the city hall where mm -hmm. they sell out 13 1400 people and when they film their tv shows it looks visually amazing mm -hmm. do you think five star would have um would have been more successful if they had smaller jam-packed arenas rather than big arenas which makes it look a lot smaller attendance yeah absolutely um Again, they had obviously illusions of of grandeur, and they they really wanted to, you know, kind of like what I said earlier, like all or nothing. They really sort of wanted to get all in with with what they were doing, and they thought that if they could just sort of hit the ground running and get some good good starts, then then they they would be fine. But like like with anything, you've got to start small. Wrestling is such a niche audience, and it takes a lot of time to build up that fan base. Even even the most uh, loyal of wrestling fans can be uh, fickle at times. Yeah. And drawing them into a product that you want them to watch regularly, even if it is on free TV at a good time, um, takes time. So, you know, if they had been maybe a bit more cautious and just said, I don't know, let's, let's, let's try this to start and then build up then then absolutely it would it would at least look better on tv and it would give people less of an excuse to uh to pan it or to look negatively on it which which a lot of people sort of did from the start because of the the first failed attempt really um but there was a lot of potential and it, it gave a lot of people some exposure and some of the names that were involved in that your dave mastiffs your rampage browns yeah adam maxsteads your charlie sterlings yeah all these people, yeah, Elogeros, look what they've gone on to to do. Yeah. So, so it's not like it's it's not like it was a, a, a crap product. It was there. It was just maybe not refined as best as it could have done. And if they had more wrestling people involved at the top end, they maybe might have managed it a little better. But it was it was just sort of mismanaged. And Dan's, you can't, I can't ever say anything bad to Dan because he was great to me. He gave me a great opportunity and he was just someone with a lot of passion and a lot of vision. And unfortunately it just didn't pan out the way that he had hoped it would, but, and I wished it had worked out better. It would have worked out better because it would have worked out better for all of us who had jobs and it would have given people, given people more opportunity for exposure. And, you know, any promotion that closes is a bad thing for all of us because it's one less place for us to work. So, you know, it's on live TV. How can that be a bad thing? Yeah, no, 100%. And that was part one of the interview with Eddie Ryan. Make sure you check out part two, which will uh, we'll be talking about Reach Wrestling, the home promotion now in Plymouth, his time with NXT UK, and his remaining goals in professional wrestling. Always use your head.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.